Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Lucy Hickmott. Hello and happy Friday. Thanks ever so much for downloading today's podcast on the 28th of July. First, we've got an update on a controversial issue affecting thousands of residents in North Kent. A legal challenge against plans to expand London's ultra-low emission zone has been thrown out. It means ULEZ will soon reach the borders of Kent, with drivers of older, more polluting vehicles having to pay to go into areas like Crayford, Bexley and Bromley. Five Conservative-led councils tried to get it scrapped, but a High Court judge has ruled against them. The Mayor of London Sadiq Khan insisted or benefit people by making the city's air cleaner, but it's caused some division in the Labour Party. Here's Shadow Home Secretary Yvette Cooper. Keir Starmer has asked um, the Mayor of London to, to look at this again, to, to rethink. We know that there's an issue about the cost of living crisis affecting people right across the country, and that was an issue that came up as part of the Oxbury by-election, and so that's why uh, Keir Starmer has uh, asked the Mayor of London to rethink on this. I think, look, the the broader approach that we need to take to all of these environmental issues is to do whatever we can to both improve the environment and help people with the cost of living at the same time. There's different approaches you can take to scrappage schemes, for example, and the government, as I understand it, has given more support for scrappage schemes in other parts of the country so that you help people with the cost of living at the same time as pursuing environmental objectives. So we need to see that kind of recognition from the government. And those are the sorts of issues that uh, I think Keir Starmer has asked should be looked at as part of this. Changes are due to come into effect at the end of August, but Kent County Council have previously said they could also take legal action. Kent Online reports. An Aylesford family say they're still looking for answers following the death of their one-month-old baby. Olive Deval was born eight weeks early at Tunbridge Wells Hospital in April, but passed away earlier this month after suffering a cardiac arrest. A funeral will take place in Snodland next next month, with people being encouraged to line the route ahead of the service. A teenage girl's been taken to hospital after being beaten unconscious in Canterbury. We're told she was headbutted and punched by two other girls in St George's Street. So far, no-one's been arrested. Up to 2,000 asylum seekers could be housed in tents under new government plans. Marquees will be set up at disused military sites as the border force is predicting a surge in small boat crossings over the next few months. Steve Smith from refugee charity Care for Calais says it's not OK to offer people fleeing war such unsuitable accommodation. It gets very hot in summer. It gets very cold in winter. Many of these people are, are only arriving with the clothes they're standing up in are we really allowing ourselves to sink so low there are better ways of dealing with this if we were to clear the backlog In other news, a fence is going to be put up around a refurbished play park in Ashford after a child was grabbed. £5 million has just been spent on Victoria Park in the town centre. A 16-year-old boy was arrested after the little girl was targeted there on Tuesday. A woman's been injured after being knocked down by a cyclist in Ashford. It happened outside Greggs in County Square earlier this week. The victim says a boy aged about 12 or 13 just rode off. 
Figures show Kent's had one of the highest number of calls about cruelty towards cats in the country. The RSPCA say they received more than 11 reports a week in the county last year. Rachel Bullen is from the charity and has been speaking to Abby Hook from our colleagues at KMTV. Last year we got 594 reports of cruelty to cats in Kent alone. Uh, you know, that figure is absolutely huge. Of all the counties in the UK, Kent is in the top five. Um, we don't know why that is, but, you know, after London, Manchester, Birmingham, big cities, um, Kent is under there. So it's one of the highest figures in, in England. Do you think it's one of the highest figures because it's a large county or is it just attitudes towards animals? Yeah, I mean, it's really difficult to say, really, and we, we couldn't really say why that is the case, but it you know regardless of what it is it's the figure is just too high and it's just really really heartbreaking and it's sort of sparked uh, this is part of this campaign council out cruelty um tell me a bit more about the campaign um why it started and where it came from and how far along you are with it what it's doing so we launched council out cruelty um because um figures from the, across the whole year from last year we found that during the summer months we actually saw more cases of cruelty you know across the uk and that like, Includes Kent. Um, so we re- we launched a campaign to raise that awareness that throughout July, August, and September time, the RSPCA we are at our busiest investigating cruelty cases. Um, as a result of that, um, our frontline officers who are out there every day rescuing animals, you know, they they're just you know they're so insanely busy, and we we want to raise awareness of it. And at the same time, you know, we we do. We do ask people to donate to us if they can, um, especially during this really busy time, because, you know, we need those funds to keep our animal rescue officers out there rescuing animals from cruelty. And looking more broadly as well, do you think that cruelty to animals in general has has risen over the the past few years? Um, Why or or why not? Really, sadly, um, we feel like it is it is increasing. Um, And we think... um, you know, as a result of um, the, you know, post-COVID that we're living in, um, you know, that has resulted in increased cruelty to animals. Um, you know, we've got this cost of living crisis as a result of COVID and, um, you know, more people have taken on pets um, during COVID, which perhaps now they can't afford to look after or they don't want to look after. Um so, you know, we are seeing, you know, we're seeing the increase in abandonments, we're seeing inc- increases in neglect and, you know, just general cruelty. Kent Online News. Bosses behind plans to convert a former car showroom in Maidstone into homes insist the project is on schedule. £30 million is said to be spent on the former Peugeot dealership on Mill Street as it's turned into 159 apartments. Construction started in May last year and we're told work's progressing well. There's a reminder you've got to pay the Dart charge via a different way this weekend, even if you've got an account. The automatic payment system won't be working as improvements are made. If you're travelling to and from Essex between now and Sunday, you'll need to use the website or call up to pay the fee. Now, a young woman who suffered severe injuries after falling from a roof in Ramsgate has defied odds and is recovering better than expected. 23-year-old Nikita Davies fell four storeys from a building at Arklow Square last August. Earlier, I spoke to her mum, Michelle. They told us she had 10% chance of survival. She wouldn't survive the injuries. They were horrific. The amount of internal injuries that she'd had, along with the brain injury, it wasn't normal for someone with those injuries to 
survive. They asked us to sort of prepare to say goodbye. But she pulled through. She was there for three months, fighting for her life. We encouraged her day by day. Um, she had a tracheotomy fitted because she couldn't breathe. Her lungs had collapsed. Um, but luckily, with the strength of the family around her, she she did pull through. She started to communicate quite well. She got transferred to this new care home in Dartford, which is amazing. The physiotherapist there has recognised that Nikita has came on leaps and bounds. And she still can't talk very much. She's lost the use of her legs. They said she'll never walk again. Hence, the specialised wheelchair that we are fundraising for. Um, she's um, saying names. She can say mom. She can say dad. She now recognises everyone. Uh, so she is improving. It's a very, very, very slow process. Um, initially, they said it would be 18 months before she could do anything. But she is coming on sort of leaps and bounds now from the initial accident, considering they said she wouldn't survive. She's done amazing and she's proved that she's very strong. She's out of the vegetative state now completely. She still can't eat. She's still fed through tube. Um, she can't move the left arm um, or the legs, but the right arm, there is improvement there. Um, but this specialist wheelchair um, will give Nikita that extra bit of freedom so we can get her home. Um, it's very lightweight. Um, we do have a video from the physiotherapist on the Nikita, Ride for Nikita Facebook page, explaining um, why it's so important that we raise the money for Nikita to aid her improvement because she's beaten the odds. She's, you know, and she's doing very well. And hopefully we can get her into a more progressed state so she can have more of a normal life than she's got at the moment. Oh, that must have been so hard for you. And thank you for reliving that because I realise it must be tough to sort of go over all those details again. I mean, what was it like for you as a parent sort of hearing about what happened and obviously all the stages of, of progression that she's gone through after treatment initially it was the worst the, it's that call any mom dad parent grandparent dreads that to say you know one of your children has been critically injured in an accident and if it hadn't been for my husband and the children surround me I don't think any of us would have got through it the way we have it's Basically, we got through it as being a family unit and being there. Like we, we're still there for each other, and it was hard. I, I, it's, I can't even, I can't even imagine how we got through it. To be honest, what, what's it like now having to travel back and forth every day? I know you said you you racked up a lot of miles. It's still stressful um, because obviously some days she seems okay, other days she has bad days, like everyone. Um, it's still very stressful because uh, we, I work, um, I've got a shop, I run a, my own business. So the last 12 months, that's been very uh, hard as well to keep the shop running. Uh, luckily, we've got extended family who are willing to do that and help out. So we've we've just we've just kept going for Nikita, really. It's, we've all had to stay strong to make Nikita strong and to get to where she is.
They're trying to raise £5,000 for the wheelchair. So far, more than 1600 has been donated. Kent Online reports. Three potentially life-saving defibrillators have been installed near Dover in memory of a man who died from a cardiac arrest at just 40. Sam Cowie collapsed at his home in Walmart last July and passed away in hospital six days later. Friends and family have raised money to get the devices installed locally. Wildlife charities have written to the Leveling Up Secretary, urging him to prevent a theme park from being built on land in North Kent. They want Michael Gove to revoke a planning order for the Swanscombe Peninsula that's been in place since 2014. The area's been at threat from the London resort development, but campaigners say it'll put 2,000 species at risk. And there could be good news if you live near Sittingbourne and struggle with poor phone reception. Plans have been put in for a 5G mast. If approved, it would be built on land opposite the Brookfields estate in the I Wade part of town. It follows complaints about bad signal in the area, which is seeing an increasing number of houses. Kent Online Sports. As England celebrates another victory in the group stages of the Women's World Cup, a new initiative's been launched in Kent to help grassroots teams. Active Life, which runs sports centres in and around Canterbury, is offering money to local girls and women's clubs. Lauren's been chatting to one of the organisers, Andy Glover. A lot about the England women's football team resonates with, with I think, the nation in terms of, um, you know, grassroots football success stories. They've recently won the European Championship. It felt that there'd be a buzz around the World Cup and we decided that, you know, to um, mark every win, uh, we would invest a little bit in um, grassroots football, which is a £500 donation, which a team nominated by our communities. That's that's what we do as a business is, is invest in community activity. We reinvest all of our profits into the centre. So we thought it was a nice chance to get some customers and communities involved in the nomination process. Um and then um, put a little bit more into grassroots football. And can you tell us exactly then how it will work? Uh, yep. So the, the nomination form is live for everyone to use right now. So that's on the, the Leisure Centre's Active Life uh, website or the Leisure Centre's social media. Um, it's in the news section. So that's activelifelimited.co.uk. Um, fill in the form. It takes about four minutes. Anyone, you don't need to be a customer or a member of ours to do that. You can just be someone in the community looking to back your team. Uh, you'll be asked a couple of questions um, and a reason why, and then that all goes through to a judging panel. And as long as the Lionesses are still in the World Cup, we will um, uh, award a prize for every victory. So that's up to seven uh, across all of our leisure centres nationally. Um, and it's a strength of the nomination that wins. So it's a judging panel that decides and we've got to read some amazing stuff so far. So hopefully lots more to come. And uh, you've said how people enter. What are the prizes then? Are there different prizes? And are there some for women's teams, some for girls' teams? Or how does it work? Uh, yep. So the prizes are, are women's and girls' teams um, in whatever form the nomination is, is received. So as I say, I've read a few so far. There's combinations of those, just junior teams, just um, adult teams. The £500 is theirs to use largely as they choose. So if you're near to one of our centres and want to do that through pitch hire, we're more than welcome to, to do that. We're also welcome to spur, um, shirt sponsorship, kits. Um, we've had a recent winner on the... The recent victory against Haiti, that was the first match, um, and they've chosen to use that on um, paying their league subs for next year, which makes their football affordable for all of their members. So for those that were struggling to pay, um, they've managed to sub subsidise that. So that feels a very good yeah, use of the money. So it's largely the, the team's decision.
And it's great how much coverage women's football and girls' football is getting. And mm. are you seeing a big growth in the number of women and girls getting involved in the sport? Uh, yes, we are. So you get this huge surge of energy after some of the big tournaments and certainly a big tournament win. And I think what's really encouraging from our point of view is having looked at some of the early nominations, we've probably already had something like 150 nominations. A lot of those are new teams in the last two or four years. So that does suggest there's this grassroots kind of uprising. It's still not easy. Um, there's there's many. And I think for certainly the younger teams, dropout from physical activity is one of the bigger challenges for young girls as opposed to um, young guys. So that's um, that's something that we're always on the lookout for with our products. But definitely the, the number of new teams that are saying, look, we just need a little bit of money just to take us to the next level last another year etc is is probably proof of that that grassroots um initiatives that are taking hold and there's lots of great volunteering and stories in there so there's a lot of people here making stuff happen um with their own spare free time which is um you know quite um, empowering to read and see the efforts people are making there england beat denmark 1-0 in their second group game with maidstone's alessia russo and gravesend born laura coombs both playing for the lionesses Elsewhere in men's football, Gillingham have signed striker Ashley Nadison from Crawley Town. The 28-year-old joins up at Priestfield with former teammates Glenn Morris and Tom Nichols. He could feature in Saturday's pre-season friendly against Dagenham and Redbridge. Jill's manager, Neil Harris, has been telling us why he wanted him to join the squad. First and foremost, he's a different type of striker to what we've got. We've got a big ollie in the building that's... Um, it does what it says. He does what it says on the team. You know, six foot six, and he competes for everything. Uh, Nico is technically an excellent footballer. as uh, a huge goal threat as well, um, and just felt for a period that we've lacked um, maybe a different option. Somebody that's really got that that pace to run behind. We, we just felt it was really important. There's going to be a lot of games this year where we're going to have to play behind teams. We're going to have to get after the ball, um, and where he's so athletic, so quick, but he's also quite clever as well, where he's good at pressing. So, um, you know, certainly going to be uh, time for different combinations of strikers. Um, and obviously, Ash comes in and he's played unbelievably well with Tom Nichols um, over a period of time. Really, really good partnership at, at Crawley. Um, he can definitely play with Ollie Hawkins. We've seen Tom Nichols and Ollie Hawkins be a really effective pair. Um, but then there might still be room for something else as well, you know, something slightly different to them as well, possibly further down the line. We're still still searching for top end of the pitch, uh, very conscious of the fact that there was a little bit short of goals last year, obviously first half of the season, short of a lot of things, but um, but, but goals, second half of the season, we, 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 scored, we scored a hell of a lot more goals, but still, um, to be at the top reaches of the division, we still need different avenues. Uh, to be creative and score goals, so top at the end of the pitch is, is ultimately is the hardest positions to recruit. Um, they come at a premium, and they're very sought after. Um, so we've had to be very patient with, with Nadas, and we've been extremely patient with other targets. It's been well publicised that we've missed out on one or two. Um, that's because we're looking for we're looking for the right the right blend. And finally, wheelchair rugby league returns to Kent this weekend. The latest games in the Super League will be taking place at Medway Park in Gillingham, featuring the likes of Leeds Rhinos, Halifax Panthers and Wigan Warriors. Nicola's been finding out more from Tom Coyd, who grew up in Medway and coaches London Roosters. So we've got the final wheelchair Super League magic round. We've played in Manchester, Northumbria and uh, Birmingham so far. And, and Magic means that all six teams in the Super League are playing on, on the same day. So there's three fixtures. Um, the matches are 80 minutes long, like all rugby league games. 
And alongside those Super League fixtures, we've got free taster sessions running. So um, some some of our star players and, and star coaches will be uh, with full equipment provided, giving people a chance to get in wheelchairs and, and play the sport or give it a good go. So um, really special opportunity to meet world champions and and star players, but also, you know, get bums in seats, which is the real fun bit for most people. And as you say, an amazing chance to come and see the sport. So for anyone who hasn't seen it for the first time, a really great opportunity. What's it like bringing bringing all of this to your hometown? It's wonderful. And the uh, the our sport in the UK and the England wheelchair team has a huge foundation in Medway. Um, if you if you go into the sports hall at Meadow Park, um, or you look at the entrance, it actually says the home of England Wheelchair Rugby League, and that's because up to now we we've held more than fifty percent of our training sessions and training camps at Meadow Park because the the staff at the facility and the um you know the the members of Medway Council and and other stakeholders in the community have been excellent supporters and um. <clears throat> flag bearers really for for our sport they've really bought in um and and they've helped you know push our dream forward so you know we're super grateful and it means that we we can keep bringing special events like this one on sunday to the area as you say there'll be some fantastic matches going on um who kind of are the best team at the moment or is it all to play for what what do you get at the at the end of it on sunday it's the second to last round of fixtures leeds rhinos are the um they were in the final last year and they're they're in the first top spot in the table at the moment. Um that they're they're number one on points difference, closely followed by London Roosters, which is the team that I coach. So we're in second. Um and London Roosters will be playing against Halifax, who are the reigning champions. So um Halifax, I think, are in third and will be looking to to move up the table and knock us off because um coming into late September is the playoffs. And the top four out of six teams will go into a semi-final. And if you finish in uh, position one or position two in the table, you get a home semi-final, which is obviously a, a decent advantage, particularly for someone like us as a Southeast-based team where all the other teams are at least a, a three-and-a-half-hour drive away. So um, we're very keen to to come home with the chocolates on Sunday so we can stay in the top two spots. And for anyone who hasn't been along to a game before, just kind of describe it for us, the atmosphere, and, and is it high scoring or does it just really depend on the day? We play in a sports hall. The pitch is 40 metres long and 20 metres wide. As a spectator, you are uh, five metres from the sideline. And what people always remark on is how you can feel and and hear the collision how strong that is What once you're in that environment. And also um, what you can't really capture on video is uh, the smell actually of the burning rubber in their tyres. So in the same way that you, you people might say um, on a starting uh, position on a Formula One track or a racetrack, you can, you can smell the tyres and that's really impactful. So as a spectator, um, being able to feel like you're really close to the action is amazing. Um, it's a five-a-side game. So um, the ball changes possession really regularly and a, a typical score might be 60 points to 40. So you, you're well in for seeing close to 100 points in a game, which is scored in the form of tries and conversions, just like normal rugby. Um, and and the, the really unique selling point is that it's a mixed sport in terms of disability and ability. So everyone's sat in a wheelchair 
but out of five, you can have up to two non-disabled players, which means that, you know, people who have friends or family that are disabled and have never been able to play with and against those friends or family, it gives them an opportunity to, you know, engage in a way that not really any other sport in the world does. That's all from us today. Thanks ever so much for listening. Don't forget you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok and Threads. You can also get details on the top stories directed to your email each morning via the briefing. To sign up, just head to kentonline.co.uk. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast.